Good morning, church. So good to be with you again. I hope you're all doing well and, and staying safe. And certainly we're glad that you have chosen to join us for worship today and uh, so glad to, to be with you again. I, I was thinking about the story of, the, of a young mom who was trying to train her young daughter on how she should conduct herself during the worship service. And so they're on their way to to church one Sunday morning and she's talking to her daughter in the back seat and she said, okay, now now what are we gonna do? How are we gonna behave at, at church? And the little girl said, well, I'm gonna be quiet. And the mom said, well, why is it important for you to be quiet? And the little girl said, because people are sleeping. I'm also reminded, I always love the story about the young boy who was going to church in a military town. And so he's out in the lobby of the church and he's looking up at this this plaque on the wall that's got a list of all the names of people who uh, were in the military, who died, part of the church that died in, in service in the military. And so he's looking at this, this plaque and an older gentleman walks up and he says to the young boy, he said, do you know what this is? And the young boy said, no, he shook his head, no. And so the older gentleman said, well, this is a, a, a plaque. This is a list of names of all the people who have been a part of this church who died while in the service. And the little boy thought about it for a second. He said, well, which one, the first or the second service? You know, I'm sure all of us are uh, familiar, have had instances or experiences with churches that have either been asleep or dead. But the church that we're going to look at this morning today is anything but those things. We are in the midst of a series called Going Viral, in which we're journeying through the book of Acts, and we're examining what does it look like when the message of Jesus Christ goes viral. And today we come to uh, another passage in Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 42 through 40, or chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So if you want to go ahead and turn with me, or you can follow along up, uh, up on the screen. But what we're about to read is a powerful description of the church in its earliest stages. But make no mistake, this is not just a history lesson, because in many ways, I think this has some powerful lessons for our lives today in the present. So let me just give you a little context and maybe a little bit of a, a refresher on what we've talked about over the last several weeks in this series. Uh, these verses that we're about to read follow two pretty dramatic uh, occurrences, experiences in the book of Acts. In the first part of Acts chapter 2, you've got in verses 1 through 13, the outpouring of God's Spirit. God's Spirit is poured out on those believers uh, on the day of Pentecost right there in the middle of Jerusalem. And, and, and a crowd, an international crowd, gathers around these believers. Many Jews from, from all different nations gathers around these believers to see what in the world is going on because the Spirit is, is powerfully working and demonstrating something through the life, lives of these believers. And so some in the crowd are amazed, some are perplexed, some even think they're drunk, but they're all wondering what in the world is going on. And so that's when Peter stands up and begins to address their questions. We find that in verses 14 through 41. And he begins to testify to them about this Jesus and that, that he's the reason for them seeing everything that they're seeing. And in fact, he is the Lord and the Messiah that they crucified just 50 days earlier. And in response to the Spirit's power, and, and the Spirit's working and Peter's testifying and teaching, 3,000 people out of that crowd wind up professing their faith in Jesus and being baptized. I wish I could get that kind of response to my preaching, but 3,000 people respond, they're baptized, and they are added to the church that day. So what happens next? 
Well, now we're ready for the next section of scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Acts chapter 2, picking up in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at, many, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the things that stands out to me is that last line, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That fire that is first ignited by God through Peter and those other believers isn't dying out, but it is spreading now through the church all over Jerusalem. And did you notice that the real evangelist here is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Lord who is adding to their number daily. And it's interesting, while last lesson, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God is using Peter. God was using Peter's testimony to reach those 3,000 people. Now it's God using the, the testimony of the church to continue to reach people. And so on the heels of this description of the church's life together and what was happening in the life of the church, you have this phrase, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Here you have the, the first glimpse of, of the church as a group of individuals coming together as one body for the first time, and their witness was contagious. It was viral. So what was it about that church that continued the, to, to enable the message of Jesus Christ to go viral? There, well, there are four things that the writer of Acts, Luke, who's the writer of Acts, Four things that Luke gives us, four things that he mentions that that early church was devoted to that I think has a lot to do with creating that viral atmosphere. And here's the first thing. First, a viral atmosphere involves a devotion to learning. Acts says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Well, you have to realize that, that their whole world has been turned upside down. They've just had a change of heart and a change of mind about this Jesus. They just crucified him 50 days earlier. 50 days earlier, they hung him on a cross to die. And now they've repented. They've responded to the message that, that Peter has, and they've declared that Jesus Christ is Lord and Messiah. They've been baptized. They've received the forgiveness of their sins. They've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so their whole world has been turned upside down, and they're trying to sort this all out. Everything they've been reading about in the Old Testament, all these prophecies about the Messiah, now they've got to go back and they've got to read it in, in a completely different light. Their, their understanding of, of who the Messiah was and, and what he came to do was being radically altered. They thought God was going to send a Messiah to kick some Roman tail, right? And so when, when, when he comes out of the tomb, there's some of them that are still thinking, I mean, he's risen from the dead. You can't kill this guy. You can't kill this king. You can't defeat him. Now we're really going to kick some Roman tail because he's come back from the dead. And so they're still just trying to get a hold of this. You mean God sent him to die on a cross and not rule from an earthly throne? They still have a ton of questions. And so the early church is devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's important because here's, here's the idea. Here, here's practically the takeaway. If they're going to represent Jesus in the future, 
then they have to have an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's about, what he values, what he cares about. Because the last thing they want to do is be guilty of false advertising. And so there's just some things that they've frankly got to be caught up on. And look, the same thing is true for us. Have you ever known Christians to be false advertisers when it comes to what God is about and what he values, what he doesn't value, what he's not about? That's one reason why we've got to be devoted to learning because the last thing that I want to do is be guilty of false advertising when it comes to what God is about and what he's not about and what he values and what he doesn't value. Here's another reason why it's important that they were devoting themselves to learning and to the apostles' teaching. Because following Jesus and a relationship with Jesus is more than just mountaintop experiences. I mean, you think about it. They have just experienced what perhaps is the most amazing thing they will ever see in their lifetime. When God pours out his spirit on those believers and they start speaking in all these different languages, declaring the wonders of God. Then they have this amazing experience of, of hearing the testimony and the preaching and teaching of Peter about this Jesus. Then on top of that, they experience the life-changing power of giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And when they respond to him and they're baptized, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They receive the forgiveness of their sins. These are some incredible mountaintop experiences. And yet now... Now their faith has to be lived out and fleshed out in everyday life. I mean, those were incredible experiences, but, but now what do we do tomorrow? How do we flesh this thing out and live this thing out tomorrow and today? And far too often, a lot of us today in the church, we, we get addicted to experience. Now don't hear what I'm not saying, because there is absolutely nothing wrong with experience. In fact, some of us need an experience because it's all in our heads and not in our hearts and our lives. Th those experiences are God-given and they are absolutely wonderful and amazing. But a lot of us, we just live our lives drifting in between mountaintop experiences. And I thank God for those mountaintop experiences. But you and I are called to do more than just drift between them. I believe that you and I are called to be a people who find daily sustenance in the word of God. Think about it in, in earthly physical terms. When, when we're babies, we need someone else to feed us. And, and that's normal, right? But hopefully we don't stay there. Hopefully we grow up. And part of, of growing up and, and becoming a, a maturing as a human being is, is learning how to feed yourself. Spiritually speaking, though, many of us never grow out of that baby Phase. And there comes a time when, when I've got to devote myself in between those mountaintop experiences, as great as they are, when I've got to devote myself daily to finding sustenance in the word of God. Here's another reason why it's important for us to, to be devoted to learning, because the more deeply rooted you are in God's word, the more you're able to stand when the storms come. And being in the word is part of me staying connected so that I'm transformed on the inside so that when the storms do come, the storms are going to come, right? We're experiencing one and have been for the last couple months right now. And, and each of you have, have experienced different storms in your life. The storms are going to come. But when they do come, part of me being rooted in the word is so that I'm transformed on the inside so that when they do come, I can stand my ground. I, I, I can stand firm and who God is and, and what he is to me and in my relationship with him, who he is, what he values, what he doesn't value. And by the way, it's in those times that my testimony stands out. 
That's when my light shines the brightest is when things are at their darkest. You see that with the church. That's why the church grows so much. You read through the book of Acts and you just see the church exploding. We'll talk about this over the next couple of weeks. How you see the church even exploding initially and over time because they're facing adversity in the midst of those things. Their light is shining the brightest. I, I truly believe that old saying is true that a, a Bible that's worn out usually belongs to someone who isn't. Secondly, a viral atmosphere involves a devotion to sharing. Acts specifically says that they were devoted to fellowship. That word for fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. Maybe some of you have heard that before, but basically it, it just means having in common. And so, so they were devoted to having in common. Now look, there's a difference between you having something in common with somebody and you being devoted to having something in common. There are just some things that naturally I have in common with other people, but there's other things that I have to work, and you have to work to find something in common with people who are different than me. And those early believers, they were devoted to having something in common. So what was it? Well, first and foremost, obviously, it was Jesus. But beyond that, they were devoted to having this one thing in common, that no one among them was in need. Listen to what verses 44 and 45 that we just read a while ago says. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as he had in need. Now I want you to see what happens because there's fruit that comes from this. Two chapters later, it says this in Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Listen to this. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Isn't that cool? I mean, that, that is so cool to me. And, and listen, they're not just giving leftover change out of their change jars or, or out of their surplus. They're selling stuff to give to those in need. And this is a big deal. It's big now, but it's even bigger when you think about what was going on. You got to remember something radical has happened. 3,000 people have just given their lives to Jesus Christ, and a lot of them are out-of-towners. They've come in from out of town to celebrate Passover, and some of them have decided they're going to stay in Jerusalem because this, this whole Jesus thing has completely changed their world and, and flipped their world upside down. And, and so they're just trying to get their heads about them and figure out what's going on and where do we go from here. And think about how serious this is. Can you imagine the implications for some of them when they told their families, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah? I mean, families would kick you out for that. There was no doubt that, that families were going to be split apart. Uh, jobs were going to be lost. And they're already living under the oppression of the Roman Empire and the taxes of the Roman Empire. On top of that, a lot of these 3,000 people were, were international people, people of different races, different nationalities, speaking different languages, all coming to faith in Jesus and coming together in this community. And here's what's so cool. The Holy Spirit was going to make sure that there was no sense of the haves. There was going to be no sense of the haves and the have-nots in this community. That they were going to be devoted to having things in common. And so their new relationship reached across ethnic boundaries, across racial boundaries, across socioeconomic boundaries, and the result of the unity in the midst of the diversity was that the Lord was adding to their number daily. 
those who are being saved. You see, more people are one to Christ when the church is one in Christ. And when the church is sharing with each other and with those around them. Here's the third thing. A viral atmosphere involves a devotion to gathering. You see, they weren't just sharing stuff with each other. They were also sharing life with each other. Specifically, Acts says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And by the way, this has more to do than just being devoted to eating, okay? Although I do miss our church potlucks. I, I can't wait to when we get back to doing that again. But there's something more that's happening here. Verse 46 says, They gathered together and broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so they're just, just kind of a picture. They're coming together regularly. And when they come together, one of the primary things they're doing is gathering around a table. Now, there's been a lot of discussion over what does it mean when it says that they're breaking bread? Does that mean that they were um, taking communion? Does that mean that they were just eating together? And I think they were doing both because I think that's how the early church did it. The, the early church took communion in the context of a bigger meal. You think about Jesus. It was, it was in the context of the Passover meal that, that Jesus begins to talk about the bread being his body and the cup being his blood. You've got to remember, who are these believers in Acts chapter 2? They're all Jewish believers, and what have they been celebrating their entire lives? The Passover. And again, the Passover was a meal. that They sat around a table sharing a meal together. And part of the Passover meal, in fact, a huge part of the Passover meal was them talking to each other and with each other and reminding each other and talking to their kids, explaining to their kids, this is what this means. This is what that means. We're looking back at what God has done and how he's been faithful in the past. And so they're, they're gathering together. They're eating together. They're sharing life together. They're sharing their faith together and with each other. You see, today we call it communion. But the problem is we go about it a whole bunch more like solitaire. We don't really talk to each other all that much. We, we, we kind of get it done in just a few moments. But when they're gathered around a table in a home, looking at each other in the eye, taking time to break the bread and, and, and take communion and, and share a meal together. They are conversing about things that matter. And that's a huge part of this viral atmosphere because they're declaring the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done and the faithfulness of God to each other. And we call it communion, but we go about it a whole bunch more like solitaire. And that's not just a statement about communion. I think that's also a commentary on, on life in the 21st century. I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of times we have to work hard at gathering together because we, we live in increasingly you know, technological cocoons where we bounce off each other in the digital cyberspace world. And, and I know a lot of the stuff that we've been going through over the last couple months has, has only pushed us more into that. Um, but I also know that for a lot of us, it's also made us appreciate gathering together. And when we do gather together, I, I know it's going to look different than it has. But however it looks, whether it's big groups or small groups or whatever it looks like, I, I hope my prayer is that we will continue to be committed and devoted to gathering together and sharing together and doing life together, communing together, fellowshipping together because there's something powerful about people gathering together and sharing life together and talking about things that matter. And then lastly, a viral atmosphere involves a devotion to praying. 
Acts says that they were devoted to praying. As the book of Acts unfolds, you see this devotion to prayer come out. And we'll talk about more about this next week and in the coming weeks. But, but it comes out really two ways. It comes out spontaneously and it comes out intentionally. And so there are times when, when stuff happens and the church prays. We'll, we'll, in fact, we'll look at that next week. Stuff happens and the church prays. But then there's also this, this, this continuing, ongoing devotion to being people of prayer. And it happens intentionally. And, and so this devotion to prayer is coming out spontaneously in their lives as they're responding to particular circumstances that arise. But it's also coming out intentionally just in the daily rhythm of their lives. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, and I've even said it myself, that, well, there's nothing else to do but pray. Let me tell you what, that's the first thing we should do. Prayer is not a last resort. Prayer is a first response because there's nothing more powerful than a church that's devoted to prayer. As someone once said, the church is the only army in the world that wins its battles on its knees. So these four things, learning, sharing, gathering, praying, these were four things they were devoted to. Those were the hallmarks of their life together as a church body. And this is the atmosphere in which the message of Jesus went viral then, and it's the atmosphere in which the message of Jesus viral, goes viral today. But what does it mean that they were devoted? What does it mean to be devoted? You know what that word devotion means? It means to commit persistently and tenaciously to someone or something. That's what it means to be devoted. So when Acts says that they were devoted, it means they were, they were tenaciously and persistently committed to sharing, to gathering, to learning, to praying, that they were steadfast and determined in their pursuit of those things. Have you ever known someone who is just persistent and tenacious in their pursuit of something or in their commitment to something? You know, it's really hard to excel in any kind of skill without being devoted to it, without being tenaciously and persistently committed to it. So let me ask you, what in your life are you persistently and tenaciously committed to? Or maybe think about it this way. Is there anyone in your life that you've ever been tenaciously and persistently devoted to or in pursuit of? I love the story of a guy named Alvin Strait. Uh, in 1994, 1994, not 84, 94, Alvin's 80-year-old brother suffered a stroke. His name was Henry. And so Alvin wanted to go see his brother, but he had a couple of problems. One, Alvin lived in Lawrence, Iowa, and his brother lived in Blue River, Wisconsin, some 275 miles away. That's the first problem. But a bigger problem was that at, at 73 years old, Alvin, his eyesight wasn't good enough for him to get a driver's license, so he couldn't drive there. So he decided that his only option was to drive to his brother's house, 275 miles away, on his 1966 John Deere riding lawnmower. And so he drove on his mower along highway shoulders, towing a trailer behind him with gas and camping gear and clothes and food to go see his brother. About four days and 21 miles into the trip, the lawnmower broke down in West Bend, Iowa, and Alvin had to spend 
$250 on replacement parts. After traveling another 90 miles, he ran out of money in Charles City, Iowa, and he had to wait there until his next Social Security check came in before he could continue on, before he had enough money to continue on. Then about two miles, only about two miles from his brother's home, his lawnmower broke down again. This time, luckily, a farmer stopped and helped push him the rest of the way. At a top speed of five miles an hour, the trip took Alvin six weeks in all, but eventually Alvin made it to see his brother. That is devotion. You see, it's only in the presence of resistance that you really know how devoted someone is. Because it's in the presence of resistance that you show your commitment, your tenacity, your devotion, your persistence to not give up in the face of opposition and resistance, but to continue on to do what you need to do. Sometimes you don't know how devoted someone is until you've encountered resistance. So let me ask you this. When you think about those four things, learning, sharing, gathering, praying, which of those are you just tenaciously and, and persistently committed and devoted to? Let me ask you another question. Which of those four have maybe you given up on all too easily? You see, for so many things in our lives, we give up all too easily when we face the slightest bit of resistance. We face the slightest bit of disappointment or rejection or setback or resistance and we bail. But that's not devotion. Devotion is when you persistently and tenaciously pursue something in the face of obstacles. That's devotion. So what was it that made them so devoted? Well, let me close today by giving you three reflections on, on what I think cultivated that atmosphere of devotion in that early church. Here's the first thing. I think it was their circumstances. Their circumstances. When they professed Jesus as Lord, that was going to get them in trouble with Rome because only Caesar was Lord. And when they professed Jesus as Messiah, that was going to get them in trouble with the Jews because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The moment they gave their lives to Jesus Christ and they confessed him as Lord and Messiah and they were baptized, they crossed a line. They crossed a line financially, family-wise, uh, economic-wise, socially. Things were going to change. Adversity was going to come. But you know what difficult circumstances do? Difficult circumstances have a way of pulling people together. Why? Because adversity and difficult circumstances have a way of delivering us from the trivial and pulling us together on what's important. Adversity has a way of, of reframing our, our thoughts and making us evaluate what truly matters. And a lot of times the things that we think are working against us may actually be working in our favor if they're creating in us a devotion and a commitment, a tenacity to push through and to pursue what it is that we need to pursue. Here's the second thing I think cultivated an atmosphere of devotion. That was their conviction. Their conviction that Jesus was alive. He, he's alive. I mean, that's not just a game changer. That's a world 
changer. And because he's alive, there's learning to be done. Because he's alive, there's sharing to be done. Because he's alive, there's gathering to be done. Because he's alive, there is praying to be done. Because he's alive, my mistakes aren't final. They don't have the final word and say on my life. Because he's alive, my life has a mission. My life has a purpose. Which leads me to the final thing I think cultivated their atmosphere of devotion. And that was their sense of calling to a mission. Don't you just know that the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples were the words those disciples spoke to those 3,000. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the mission Jesus left them with. Here's the question I leave you with. The question is not, do you have a vision for your life? The question is, do you have Jesus as the vision for your life? The question is not, do I have a mission? The question is, does Jesus' mission have me? Because Jesus' vision and mission for your life and my life is for us to be contagiously devoted to him so that we can be his witnesses and go viral with the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ, for the salvation that you've made possible and given through him, through his death and through his resurrection. And Father, we, we thank you that, that you were devoted to us in giving him. And Father, as we think about his devotion to us, may we think about our devotion to you and to him. Father, I look at the example of that early church and, and the things that they were devoted to, to learning to sharing, to gathering, to praying. Father, I pray that in my life and in the life of this church that, that we will be devoted to those things, to learning more about who you are and what you desire of us, what you value, what you don't value. Father, to be devoted to sharing together, that it's not ours to begin with, the things that you've given us, that you've blessed us with, but Father, that we may be a church that reaches out, that shares with each other and with those around us. Father, that we may be a church that is devoted to gathering together. And I know, Father, it's so hard for many of us as we've been going through these times, but, but Father, help us to be reminded of what a blessing it is to have the body of Christ, to be able to lean on each other. And even though we may not be able to meet together physically right now, Father, help us to, uh, to gather in spirit and to lean on each other, to make those phone calls, to send those texts, to send those emails, uh, to reach out to each other, and to, to build up that fellowship with each other. And Father, to be devoted to prayer, that may, we may lift up our hearts and our minds to you, Father, because things only go viral if your spirit is involved. And so, Father, may we lean on you. May we be a people who win our battles on our knees. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, as we move into our communion time, there's a, a lot of different aspects to this time, but, but one I'm thinking about in particular is, is reflection. And this is a time of of reflection, and, and specifically as we've talked about devotion a lot today, I think it's a good time for us to look inward, to look at our own lives and, and think about our own level of devotion. And certainly we've spent some time talking about those four things this morning, learning, sharing, gathering, praying, what's my devotion level to those things. But in the end, the reality is that those things are simply responses to our devotion to Jesus. 
And so while it's good to take stock of our devotion to those things, to, to learning, to sharing, to gathering, to praying, where, where am I at in my devotion to those things? The real question is, what's my devotion to Jesus Christ? What's my devotion to him? Because if I'm not devoted to him, then I'm not really going to be devoted to those other things. And as you think about your devotion to him, think about his devotion to you. Think about how much he gave up for you. What he sacrificed for you. Just how much he was persistently and tenaciously committed to you. That he left the throne room of heaven to come to live as a man, ultimately to die on a cross, so that you could have a relationship with him. Romans chapter 6, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is real devotion. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So as now as we take the bread and we take the cup, my prayer is that you'll think about your devotion to him. And as you think about your devotion to him, thank him for his devotion to you. Let's give thanks for the bread. Father, as we share in this time in communion, certainly we are not together as we would like to be, but Father, we are together in spirit. And as we share in this communion time, Father, may we be reminded of the gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, and his body that was given, that he came to this earth, that he lived. And Father, ultimately, that he endured a beating that was beyond what we could, we could comprehend and ultimately was crucified to a cross also that we might have life. Father, we thank you for that gift, and as we take of this bread, may we, be, may we be reminded of just how much you sacrificed for us, just how much you are devoted to us through his sacrifice of his life for our sins. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the cup. Father, we also thank you for the gift of his blood that sanctifies us, that redeems us. Father, we were still sinners, as I just read, and yet you loved us enough to send him. You gave his life for ours, his blood that, that cleanses us, that redeems us. Father, that justifies us. I love that image, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what his blood does for us. Father, thank you for the devotion that you've given us through him. May we return that in our devotion to you. And may we be reminded of just how much you gave us through his body and through his blood on the cross of Calvary. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's close our time in prayer. Father God, we just simply thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for salvation we find in him. Thank you for just another day that we have life and breath. And Father, I'm reminded of the words of your Apostle Paul from 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, and if we are living today, may we live it for Christ. And if today is our last, Father, then we will enjoy the blessing of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for him. Thank you for this life that you've given us. Thank you for this church body. May we be devoted to those things. But first and foremost, may we be devoted to you and to your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you have a great day. God bless.